right, I want you to notice the end of 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. We're all very familiar with this passage. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And I want to preach tonight on the man of God. The man of God. And that title... The man of God, it's one that we see used quite a few times in the Bible, but mainly in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we only see it used two times, and both times, it's uh, Apostle Paul is when he's writing to Timothy. But this term, man of God, this is a term uh, that is often used to actually mock uh, IFB pastors uh, who seem to have an inflated sense of who they are. Um, they, and on the social media world, they always call them mogs is what they call them, like man of God. And they, they bring that up all the time. Uh, so they kind of use as a mocking thing is what it's kind of become. But unfortunately it is true that many pastors have taken this biblical term that is even used to describe a man in the new Testament and they've kind of weaponized it. And I'm going to show you this because it's so important that you understand this because I believe we need men of God. We need, we need men of God. It means something to be a man of God. And I want everybody to get a hold of what, that, what it is because we need, we need men of God in this church. But typically, the way this is used, they make it where you can't ever say anything against the pastor in a church when he messes up. Like, how dare you speak that way about the man of God? And it's interesting the way they do that because, uh, you know, they'll say things. I've heard preachers say stuff like, you know, touch not the Lord's anointed. Do my prophets no harm. That's straight out of your Bible right there. And we'll look at that verse. Uh, we'll, look, we'll look at that verse. But, you know, they'll say, you better watch out what you say about the man of God. And, you know, and I don't know what it is. There's, there's so much stuff in our IFB culture that, again, a lot, I think a lot of this might be foreign to some people. But if you're from the Baptist world, you're familiar with these things, especially if you've been a part of churches south of the Mason-Dixon line. It's like some of y'all, you go home Sunday afternoon, you eat roast preacher. Boy, you better watch talking about the man of God. You know, you leave home, your kids see you doing that. They hear you speaking about God's man that way. Boy, you know, I'd watch out if I were you. Don't be surprised, men, when your wife's not going to submit to you, when you're not going to submit to the, the one you're supposed to submit to, the man of God in your life. And don't be surprised when your kids won't submit to you because you won't submit to the man of God in your life. And it's just, it's interesting when they choose to use that term man of God. Okay? And again, it's a biblical term, but I'm going to show you what exactly what it means exactly because they're not really using it the way the bible does but they use it in a very specific way and so we we i referenced first uh chronicle 16:21. it says he suffered no man to do them wrong yea he reproved kings for their sake saying touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm and, and pastors will use that to defend themselves sometimes even though that passage right there was actually about the patriarchs and uh, mainly because his seed was going to be coming from them. It's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God preserved them, blessed them, protected them in a miraculous way. Not because they were so special, but because Jesus was going to come from them. Now, if you want to put yourself on that level, okay, I mean, that takes a pretty inflated ego right there. Okay, Understand uh, we can't necessarily claim that passage for ourselves. But this is what's happening. 
whenever preachers start referring to themselves as the man of God, it's typically a power play. It's typically a defense mechanism and a warning for people to back off. Otherwise, you're going to come under the curse of God. I mean, you, re- you really want to do that right now? You really want to go against the man of God? Why don't they just say, you really want to go against me? Why, why do they switch to the man of God? It, it's always in a defensive situation. Uh, are you serious? That's what you feel like paying the man of God? <laughs> you know, when, it, when it's something that could benefit him, that's when all of a sudden they switch to that instead of just me. You know, they, they, they do that. It's, it's interesting. I've seen this my whole life. And, you know, before I go on here, I just want to state a fact, and that is a pastor can be, and a pastor should be, and a pastor better be a man of God. But let me tell you, often they are not men of God. Okay? But there is no, there's no denying this is a part of our Baptist culture. I'm sure other religions do it too. I, I only know Baptists. But in the preacher world, when, it, when we're defending another preacher too, it is common practice to refer to them as a man of God. You know, rather than brother or pastor, but we go to the man of God. Like if I'm going, I want to help my other pastor. Maybe, you know, people in the church haven't been following his leadership. And I want to, you know, and I, instead of me just getting up and say, you know, it's good to follow the leadership of your pastor. Typically what I would just naturally do, just because I'm IFB, is I would say, you know, y'all ought to be supporting the man of God. Now, why do we switch to that term? I'm going to show you why when we are being defensive, People often switch to that term, man of God. There's, there's a really good reason for this. I, I should say, there's a reason they do it. I don't know if it's a good reason. But what makes us do this? Because again, we, we put pastor on the sign. We put pastor on a business card, on the website. If man of God is just equivalent to pastor, why don't we just put man of God, Tommy McMurtry, on the sign out there? <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, you know, why don't we put that? On, on the website. Why don't I put that on my bio on social media or something like why is it that culturally or culturally we use that term when being defensive? And the reality is it's a scare tactic. It's a power move. And some might, you could say it's appropriate, but we're going to find out by the end of this message, you know, if, you know, when are the appropriate times? Again, I'm not saying there's never a time a pastor should not be referred to as a man of God. I think he should be a man of God, but that means something very specifically in the Bible. And I, and I think it's, it's interesting that we never want to use that term until a man of God is being challenged or especially when there's like some kind of moral failure. Whenever a pastor falls and he commits adultery or some kind of grievous sin and people are wanting to throw him out of the church, you know, you'll have other pastors and stuff up. Y'all better watch out speaking about the man of God that way. Y'all better watch your treatment of the man of God. And I'm telling you, it's, it's not appropriate. It's not right. And so here's, here's why we often see this, okay? And, and I know this because I've been in the IV my whole life. I've heard the sermons on this subject. But Deuteronomy 33, verse 1, this is the first time we see the term man of God in the Bible. And it says, and this is the blessing where with Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. I can't help but say man of God with a southern accent because... It's typically the Southerners that like to use this term a lot. It's just uh, the, the preacher culture down in the South is, is a special, special thing if you've never been a part of it. But Joshua 14, 6, Ezra 3, 2, Psalm 90, verse 1. All these passages refer to Moses as the man of God. And so while it is appropriate to glean leadership principles from the life of Moses, 
I believe as a pastor I can do that. If I'm preaching to other pastors, I can preach leadership principles about Moses to any of the men in this church in any area where you lead. There are leadership principles that you can learn. But at the same time, while we can all learn leadership principles from Moses, did you know that a pastor does not, is not the same rank as Moses? It's not the same thing. Okay? I mean, we feel like it sometimes trying to drag you sorry carcasses to, you know, to the promised land because you won't get right with God and won't get right with a man of God. But you know, at the same time, it's not really the same thing. Moses had a lot more power and a lot more authority than we do. Moses was God's man to lead a multitude of people, a physical people, a physical nation out of another physical nation. He was used to give the Old Testament to the people. He was a national and a spiritual leader of an entire nation. That's who he was. God literally told the people he would raise up a prophet from among their brethren like unto Moses. And they were to follow that prophet that would be like Moses. Jesus got likened to Moses. That's a pretty good compliment to Moses right there. But all of a sudden, because Moses is a man of God, and then we'll preach about ourselves like we're a man of God on equal level with Moses. And it's just like, listen, if you want to make any biblical argument that we have any equality in any way to Moses, it's only because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what the blood of Christ does. We are not on the same level as Moses. We don't have the same authority. Moses could put people to death if he wanted to. Moses, he is, he's leading a physical nation. A pastor is pastoring a local church. He's overseeing a local church where Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It's not the same thing. Again, there's principles. There's principles that we can learn. But it's not the same thing. And so Moses... He is, he's a man of God for sure, but let's go to Numbers chapter 12. Let's go to Numbers chapter 12 because whenever we switch to the man of God title, again, it's usually because we're being challenged. And here, this is a passage that we all like to preach about. It says, Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses. Whoa, man, that's dangerous. What were they thinking speaking against a man of God? Well, I'm going to tell you a story, ladies and gentlemen. You know, and then they'll go into story time about the person that spoke against a man of God and they were graveyard dead the next day, man. You know, just scare stories, all right? War stories. They call, I, I, I don't have any of those stories uh, that, that I, you know, I'm going to tell right now. But that, that's, that's how this works. Speak, spoke against a man of God. This was dangerous. Dangerous. Because the Ethiopian woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He took another wife, took an Ethiopian. I know they weren't supposed to do that. But don't you speak against a man of God. Yeah, that preacher committed adultery. Who are you to speak against a man of God? Well, what, look what happened to Miriam. You going to say something against that preacher committing adultery? That preacher being a pervert? Remember, when I'm using my southern accent, I'm not serious, all right? No, nobody clip me. Uh, okay, southern accent, I'm not, I'm, not being, I'm not being serious. I'm making fun. Okay, I'm, I'm copying stuff that you hear. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? Look at, look at these people thinking they're on equal ground with Moses thinking they're on equal ground with the man of God. Yeah, uh, well, well, that, that's a lot of arrogance. you got these people that come in church think they can straighten out the preacher, think they can straighten out the man of God. Dangerous. The Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and said unto Miriam, Come ye out three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out, and the Lord came down to pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth and he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. Now, take a mental note of that verse right now. If there be a prophet, okay, a pro was Moses a prophet? Yes, Moses was a prophet. 
How is God going to speak to the prophets? In a vision and in a dream. My servant Moses is not so who is faithful on my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches. In this multitude of the Lord uh, shall he behold. Wherefore, when we, uh, uh, wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And a cloud departed from the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous. Why does no? Boy, how come he didn't do it to Aaron? I'll tell you why, because it's worse when you ladies say something to men. God didn't do that to Aaron. But man, you get that loud mouth Jezebel running her mouth against the man of God, your dead meat leper. Now here's why I probably didn't do it to Aaron too. Aaron's the high priest and, you know, he's needed to be the high priest. God wasn't done with Aaron yet and a high priest, he didn't want to be him being defiled with leprosy and all that. I'm just, uh, you know, I don't know for sure. That would just be my guess. But he did nail the woman even worse. Because it's, it's worse when the women say anything. Hey, man, right? But anyway, and you, and you all know the story. You know, God ended up healing her of the leprosy, but she still had to kind of go through a period of uh, cleansing after that. And so, again, we like to bring this up and anytime anybody wants to speak against us. And again, I believe we can get principles from this. I think it is, we do need to be careful about you know, how we are with authority. We ought to be careful about how we, you know, handle accusations or receive accusations. There's certain principles, there's certain protocols, all that. There's principles that we can learn from this, but I don't think any of you ladies are going to turn into a leper if you say something against me. Doesn't mean you should. Just because, you know, again, I don't have the same juice as Moses, so you probably won't become a leper, but I bet you get COVID. I mean, I don't know. know, Either way, again, it's, I'm not, we can learn principles but isn't it interesting how we do? We speak of ourselves in the same terms like we are Moses in these situations. And the thing is, too, often preachers do this when there was like legitimate sin that they committed. Okay, it's not just like, you know, you know, it's a disagreement. You know, somebody's maybe there's an argument about doctrine or theology or something like that. No, I'm talking about people who use this when they get nailed and busted for legitimate sin. When there's legitimate wrongdoing being done, and then they try to behind behind this man of God thing. And that's the worst time you should be bringing up the whole man of God thing when you've done something ungodly. People feel like because they are a pastor, that they have this calling on their life. They have this title that's been bestowed on them that no one can take away. And I don't have time to cover all that. But folks, you can be disqualified from being a pastor. You can be disqualified. That's very clear in the Scriptures. But because men like Moses didn't lose his position when he would mess up, or King David, that's a completely different thing. It's a completely different thing. It's a completely different position. But people will. They will try to hide behind these things. And it is. It's a power play. So again, we'll teach principles. But we don't... It's wrong for a preacher to try to take advantage of his position and manipulate the Scripture to make it work in his favor. And so it's okay for you whenever me or any preacher is making application from the Scriptures. Application. Understand there's a difference between interpretation. I've, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. There's interpretation and there's application. The interpretation of this story is 
Miriam and Aaron should not have been speaking against Moses the way they were in this situation. They were being disrespectful. Moses was a man who was very close to God, and this upset God greatly. Now, there's applications we can make that we ought to be careful whenever we go after somebody. You better watch out. You better be careful. And I believe God cares. I don't think God wants me. I can do principles about this, about just going after one of the little girls in this church. You know, you don't want to just be attacking people. You don't want to be inappropriate in your behavior and you don't want to be disrespectful. We can make application too. If it's, I'm talking about the mayor in town or something like that. There's applications that we can make. But always, anytime a preacher makes an application from the scriptures, it's okay for you to think in your mind and to judge and say, is this an appropriate application? And sometimes, you know, it's completely appropriate. Sometimes it might be a little bit of a stretch. Sometimes it's inappropriate. Sometimes it doesn't even compare. Sometimes it's not even in the ballpark. And again, if some preacher gets busted for committing adultery, if some preacher gets busted for being a pervert, you don't get to hide behind Moses, the man of God passages. And when some woman is speaking against some preacher that was a pervert, molested her or something, you don't get to act like she's like Miriam and God's going to curse her with leprosy. It doesn't fit in that situation. That is an inappropriate application. And anytime you hear me making application from the scriptures, it's okay for you to look and to think about what I'm saying and see if it makes sense and to make a judgment. You are allowed to do that. In fact, you should you should do that. And there is there's some bad applications people are making. I believe it's wrong for a pastor to claim some kind of man of God status on Moses's level on himself. In Judges 13, 6, we see another reference to man of God. It says, then the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God came unto me. And his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told him me his name. Now, in this situation, it was actually an angel, but she thought it was a man of God. Now, what made her think this angel was a man of God? When she said man of God, what did it mean in her mind? Well, in the Old Testament time, a man of God was typically a title used for a prophet. Okay? And so she thought this angel was a prophet because it did come and prophesy to her. So you can see where she came to that conclusion, even though it was actually an angel. But pretty much, I think, almost every instance in the Old Testament, a man of God is a prophet. Now, remember what God said about prophets. He said, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. Did you know that prophets were who God used to give the word of God? I mean, when the prophets would speak, they were lit- what they were speaking was the Word of God. And that per- carries a lot of weight. When I speak, okay, my words are just that. They are my words. I can teach the Word of God. I can proclaim the Word of God. But if you ever hear a new revelation from me, and I claim it's the Word of God, I would probably go find another church. And then I'll get one of my buddies in home here. Can't believe these people went against a man of God. No, but that, listen, I'm not a prophet. Okay? The words I speak, are unless they're right out of this Bible, but anybody can read this Bible. Anybody can say what's in the Scripture. First Samuel 2.27, There came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? This was a prophet speaking to Eli. Another major man of God that we see, and he's referred to this a lot, is Elijah. 
And it's clear why pastors want to connect themselves to Elijah. Now, folks, I'm not trying to be humble right now, but I would be very worried about any pastor that would try to put himself on Elijah level or Moses level. Okay, not trying to be humble, but folks, if I could do the stuff Elijah did, I would have done it many times already. Okay, and let's just you know read some of these. Second Kings one seven, and he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was an hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. And the king sent unto him a captain of fifty with his fifty. And he went up to him, and behold, he sat on the top of a hill and spake unto him. Thou man of God, the king hath said, come down. And Elijah answered and said unto the captain of fifty, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. I'm not putting myself on the same level with that guy. Okay? I've prayed a lot of imprecatory prayers and I've yet to see fifty people get roasted. I've yet to see that. Again, also he said unto him, another captain of fifty with his fifty. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, Thus said the king, or the, thus hath the king said, come down quickly. And Elijah answered and said unto him, if I be the man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And he sent again a captain of a third fifty with his fifty. Remember the kings, they're not the ones going out and fighting these battles. They, you know, we're, all the soldiers are pawns. Keep that in mind if you're thinking about joining the military. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah. And besought him and said to him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these fifty thy servants be precious in thy sight. Behold, there came down fire from heaven and burn up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, be not afraid of him. And he rose and went down with him to the king. So think about Elijah. This man did amazing miracles. He killed the prophets of Baal. He never died. He was taken up into heaven. He's probably one of the two witnesses. I mean, he, this pastors need to just come to a place where they recognize they're not as great as Moses and Elijah. They're not, okay? Not trying to be humble. But we're not going to go into the Scriptures, but Elisha was also referred to many times as the man of God. But Elisha, too, was somebody who was also a prophet, had a double portion of Elijah's spirit. So think about that. He also did many miracles. A man even came back to life when his dead body touched Elisha's bones. Hey, I don't have that kind of juice. I've never met a pastor that has. So, you know, and here's the scare passage from Elijah. Hey, you kids, I hope all you kids are paying attention in here. Hey, you better listen to this. Y'all ever thought about saying anything against the man of God? I remember some kids in the Bible spoke against the man of God. Y'all better pay attention. 2 Kings 2.23, And he went up from thence unto Bethel, and as he going by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him. Said unto him, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. Well, this is a good verse right here. People making fun of bald people. That, that's the interpretation of this passage right here. Never make fun of a bald man. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear forty and two children of them. Y'all hear that, kids? Y'all just better hope I'm merciful that day you make fun of me. Y'all lucky bears don't live around here. Lord will send raccoons or possums or something. I don't know. But, you know, okay. and so you can kind of see, 
you see why they do that. Now, again, principles, kids, learn to be respectful. Don't make fun of old people. Uh, you know, be, we should be respectful to all authority. Okay? There, there's principles, but again, you can kind of see how when all of a sudden we go to this, you know, Elisha and Elijah and Moses-like terminology, it's typically, again, when we're being defensive. It's kind of weaponizing these things. And so what I want us to pay attention to, what I want everybody to get from this, is what exactly is a man of God today according to what we see in First and Second Timothy, where we see Paul use that term. Because people will. Paul called Timothy a man of God, and he was a preacher, amen? And so therefore, equal with Moses, Elijah, Elijah. No, it's, it's not the same thing. It's very clear in the Old Testament when it's talking about men of God, these are prophets. Okay? We are not prophets. Okay? I am not a prophet. But I do want to be a man of God. Okay? I like to think I'm a man of God. I, 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 I should be a man of God according to the way Paul used it. It's okay. When we're using Bible terms, it's very helpful if we use those terms the way the Bible does. We shouldn't just take these things and redefine them and use them however we want. So what does this mean? Because I, I hope we all agree, pastors, we're not prophets, we're not kings, at least any more than any other saved person. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. We believe all of us here are priests in the eyes of God. And Paul starts this chapter out by telling servants how to obey their masters. And, or today we would say employers. So look at what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is important. Let, every, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. Now, notice this warning because Paul is showing something here that should not be found in a man of God. There are some things that a man of God should do. There are some things we should find and there are some things that we should not find in a man of God. He goes on to say, and so here, right here, he's given instructions for basically employees, for servants. Verse 3, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness. And I have preached a whole series on this before, showing the emphasis of the doctrine in First and Second Timothy. It's all about not where our head knowledge is, what intellectual positions that we have on things. It's mainly about behavior. He's talking about godliness, doctrine that is according to godliness. There is a way that God wants His children to live. God wants us being godly. He wants us being like Him. And so we ought to mark people who don't listen to wholesome words and, pr and promote godliness. That's what He's just said in this passage. If they are not teaching wholesome words or and... um. And doctrine according to godliness. We don't want to have anything to do with those people. That person who's not promoting godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. There are people out there that they are masters 
at like learning all the intricate details of doctrines that don't affect how one lives, one's behavior, and they will fight you all day on those. They will start arguments and all those things. But you know what? When it comes to godliness, when it comes to things that will benefit each one of us, you don't know where they stand on anything. You know, they, they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about the stuff that, where they can lift themselves up. They can look like they're smarter than everybody else. But when it comes to living daily life, they're hush-hush on that stuff. They don't know how to do it. And Bible says, withdraw yourselves from those people. If these people aren't promoting godliness, if they're promoting lasciviousness, and let me tell you something, there are, there are many people out there, and I'm seeing more and more of them on the online world, they don't survive in real church because you'll never, you'll never build a church with these kind of people. They preach a clear gospel that's without works, but then they never want to promote any kind of godliness. Some of these people, it's like they want to prove so much you can be saved without works, they continue living just godless lifestyles and just wicked lifestyles. No, we're not saved by our works, but God has ordained that those of us who are saved, that we do good works. And where we walk according to godliness, and any preacher, anybody who's not promoting godliness, we ought, to, we ought to withdraw ourselves from those people. Men of God should stay away from people who are about gain that is unbecoming to a man of God. Look what it says. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment therewith, let us be there with content. So godliness, contentment, this is a great characteristic. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And the desire of riches is a dangerous, tempting thing. And understand, when someone gets sucked into that, there's no level that they won't stoop to. When you become about the money, when you become about the gain, I mean, these things drown men in destruction and perdition. There's a lot of saved people. There's a lot of decent people who, because they got so desperate for money and for riches, they allowed all kinds of wickedness. They've got away from godliness. Why? Because they were going after the things of the flesh. They were going after that money. They were going after what things could buy. And that is the opposite of godliness. Godliness is what God wants. And so... For these 10 verses, we're seeing all these things where Paul is showing Timothy not only how he should live. All Christians should live this way. All Christians should follow every one of these principles. And so he's giving, he's giving all these examples. And then he goes on to verse 11 and he's talking to Timothy. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, patience, meekness. When he makes this statement, but thou, O man of God, he's saying this because all those things that he mentioned, that was the opposite of what a man of God should be. And he goes on to say what he should go after. Okay? So again, Timothy, you're a man of God. Don't do these things. It would be like with my kids. If I, I say, hey, you're a McMurtry. You don't do those things. There are some things that just aren't going to fly in the McMurtry household. And if you're a McMurtry, you shouldn't do these things. And so Paul has just told Timothy all these things. You teach people to stay away from these things. He's telling Timothy to stay away from these things. And he says, but thou, O man of God, you flee these things. This is not what should be in your life. And then he goes on to say, now here's what you should do. And he says, fight the good fight of faith. This is what a man of God does. 
Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This man of God that Paul's talking to is someone who should stay away from all these wicked things that were referred to in that chapter. He's supposed to stay away from the love of money. He's supposed to stay away from all the sins and the sorrows that come with those who pursue after these things because he's a man of God. And when a person veers off from these things, when they become spotted with these, with these things, when they come, become rebukable on all these things, understand they're not being a man of God. And so just because some pastor or some man has a title of a pastor, just because he is supposed to be a man of God or even has been a man of God, understand when he starts violating all these principles of godliness and he is not living godly anymore, then guess what? He's not being a man of God. So if some man is being a man of God and he's being godly, for example, the Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we hear a lot, of, there's a lot of passages about those who are godly and they're being persecuted. Those people are going to be blessed. And you know what? I also believe those who are persecuting the godly are going to be cursed. So understand, I believe we can take principles from the man of God and say, Hey, I would, wouldn't be persecuting. I wouldn't be going after people who are godly. But if a pastor does something that is ungodly and he gets called out for it, that's not somebody going after the man of God. Because the man of God doesn't molest kids. The man of God doesn't do these things a lot of these pastors are doing. A man of God doesn't disqualify himself from the office of a bishop because he's living, he's living godly. So again, if he's being falsely accused or something like that, there's going to be rewards you know, for the persecution that he received. But I'm seeing it where literally two other preachers will come to the defense of preachers who have sinned and they will keep referring to him as the man of God in that situation. Wait, why are you calling him a man of God when he clearly is not being a man of God? And here's why. Because they don't associate the man of God title with godliness. They just see it as a title that was bestowed upon him when he became pastor that no one can take away. And that's just not true. That's just not the case. That's not right. And uh, you're, you're wrong. You're misusing the scriptures. You're not using it the way Paul did. And unless this guy's a prophet, then you know what? I, I wouldn't call him a man of God if he's not a godly individual look at first timothy chapter 4 and verse 11 so without a doubt too in first timothy a theme of godliness is being promoted in fact we're in first timothy 4 but first timothy 3 is literally given the qualifications of a bishop and so there is no evidence that what paul is telling timothy to follow after is something that's just for pastors all of us should be godly folks is anybody exempt from godliness in the church, everybody should be living godly. There isn't any reason why every man in here shouldn't be able to follow everything Paul told Timothy to do here. And Paul had just told Timothy to set the example. That's what a man of God does. A man of God is someone who is one living godly and one that other men can look to as an example and follow. That's what Paul is explaining here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Timothy, he is a leader. He is a bishop in a church. 
He is somebody that should be living godly so other people can follow his example as a, as a man of God. And so, we're, and without a doubt, we're about to see the same thing here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And it, I believe if you are living a, a life of godliness, okay, doesn't that say, listen, you can be a godly plumber. You can be a godly mechanic. You can be a godly roofer or whatever. Okay? It, it, there's, there's not a job out there. You know, well, I mean, I guess there's, you know, I, guess, I don't think you can be a godly bartender. But I guess, you know, when it comes to legitimate jobs, okay, you know, there are, you can be godly on those things. And, it, it's, it's, and just like you can be an ungodly roofer, you know, that guy that's up there, you know, cussing all day and ripping off customers and things like that, you know, that's not a godly one, but you can be an ungodly pastor. Two, godliness is, is the key here. But if you're somebody who's living a godly lifestyle, that is an example that others can follow. I believe you're a man of God in that situation. If you are living a life that others can follow, I believe you're a man of God. Look what it says in First Timothy 4.11. He says, These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. In word... In conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And from reading the Old Testament, I would say to be a man of God, be like, I mean, they were a prophet. But from reading 1 Timothy 6, what we read here, I believe it appears the description of a man of God is a man who is godly. We don't need prophets right now when we have the completed scriptures. I don't need to give you anything in addition to our scriptures. You understand that? Back then they needed those prophets. They didn't have the completed scriptures like we do. But you know what we need today? We need men living and teaching what has already been revealed right here. This is what we need. We need somebody to show that you can live what's in the scriptures. That's what we need. We need examples. We've got the, we've got the scripture. But I mean, how many of you, you're the kind too, you learn better when somebody shows you how to do something rather than somebody telling you how to do something. It, it helps when you can watch somebody do it. Obviously, we need to tell people what to do, but we also need to set an example as well, we've got to show people how to do it. And so we need men, we need men living and teaching what has already been revealed. And I think a man of God, it's not a title or a description of a pastor, but of someone who preaches godliness and lives it. You got to do both. You got to preach it and you got to live it. Matthew 5.18 says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jaw or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, now, think about this, all right? Let me stop before I read this next part. Okay, I already showed you. Prophets. Prophets are a big deal, right? And God did use prophets. Even early in the church, God used prophets. He gave some of uh, prophets and some uh, apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers. We understand God used prophets. But notice... Again, we've been talking about this on Wednesdays and we'll talk about it this Wednesday about this kingdom of heaven, about this kingdom of heaven, right? Prophets were a big deal in the Old Testament. They were a huge deal. Everybody called them the man of God. But notice as Jesus is preaching the kingdom of heaven and he's preaching this sermon on the mount, notice what he tells these people about this kingdom that he's setting up. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What is somebody who does and teaches what the scriptures say? They're a man of God. 
You know, the man, of, the man of God back then, it was. It was the prophet. The guy who was proclaiming the Word of God. The man who was revealing the Word of God. The Word of God in God's kingdom today has been revealed. You know what God is saying the greatest is today? Those who do and teach. They are great. We are the men of God if we are doing and teaching what the Bible says. If you are living a godly life, you are setting an example. If you are somebody, if me as a pastor... You know, if I'm able to say, hey, this is a good, this, this, this man in the church, he's, he's a man of God. What, what I should be, what I would mean by that is this is a godly individual. He's a good example of a father. He's a good example of a husband. He's a good example of a church member. He's a good example of an employee. This is somebody who follows the principles in the Bible. Doesn't mean he's perfect. Doesn't mean he doesn't, he hasn't messed up. But if a person is living these things and teaching these things, I believe that person is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And we don't call them prophets because that's a very different thing. But you know what? They are a man of God. They are a man of God if they do these things. And so let's go to the other place in the New Testament where the man of God term is used. Without reading the whole whole passage or the whole chapter, Paul started out warning about perilous times and wicked men and is now using himself as a contrast between a contrast because Paul, he was an example. He goes on to say, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. Unlike these other people, the perilous times, these lovers of themselves, these guys go around calling themselves the man of God. Don't you touch the Lord's anointed. The other scare passage they use, I skipped to, is remember when David went to cut off Saul's skirt and his heart smote him and all that? He was the Lord's anointed. Are you the Lord's anointed? Are you a king? And it's just like, you know, just... You know, it's a power play. It's a power play from people with an inflated ego. And sometimes these preachers, they're, getting, they're actually getting called out by men of God in their churches. Men who are godly. Men who are being an example, calling out their ungodliness. But again, Paul goes on to say, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life. I don't care. I'm so tired of people. I'm right on the reprobate doctrine. I'm right on the rapture. I'm right on Israel. I'm better than all these people out there that are godly, that live decent lives, that are good husbands, good fathers, good church members, good workers. They're honest. And then you, you're a filthy liar, good for nothing. You know, can't, you know, can't lead a house, can't keep your family together. You aren't raising your kids right. And you, you can't do anything right. But because you're right on the reprobate doctrine, you're going to go cream that pastor. You're an idiot. You know what? Get the, listen, get the beam out of your eye for crying out loud. But he said, that was fully known my doctrine, manner of life. Paul lived what he preached. Purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came on me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving, being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned. He's saying, follow my example, Timothy. Follow my example of godliness. You know my doctrine. You know my manner of life. And while the world's going to be evil, and while people are going to be departing from these things, you keep doing it, Timothy. You know what's right. I showed you. I, I, I showed you from the Scriptures. I showed you from my, from my life. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 
that the man of God is the scripture just for the man of God? Is the scripture just God wants the pastor being fully furnished unto all good works? Or does God want that for all of us? I think God wants that for all of us. Not just for the man of God. I believe God wants it for all of us. Do you know why? Because God wants all of us to be men of God. He wants all you ladies to be women of God. And I believe if you as a lady, you are an example of a godly mother, a godly wife. I believe if you are those things, then you are a woman of God. If you are somebody that others can point to and say, this is this woman, she's a good, she's a, she's a, she's a woman of God. That means this is someone you can follow. You can follow her example. Watch how she treats her kids. Watch how she treats her husband. Watch how she lives her life. And if you will follow her example, you will be obedient to the scriptures. That's what it means to be a man of God or a woman of God. So, um, uh, so that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Because it's about behavior. It's about godliness. And a man of God is someone who, one, lives by the words of this book. If this guides your life, if how you deal with people is based off principles in this work, you know, you're a man of God. If how you run your home is based on the words in this book, you're a man of God. You, you are, you're a man of God. If you are an example that others can look to, then, and they're following your lead will cause them to obey the Scriptures, you will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's the way Jesus put it in Matthew. I think the way Paul's putting it is that's what a man of God does. And I don't know about you. I, I want to be a man of God. Not, not for defense purposes. Right? Not so I can defend myself Whenever I do horrible things, that's not the point. You're not being a man of God in that situation. So I don't care what your title is, what your position you are ordained to. If you aren't preaching and living the truth of the scriptures, you're not a man of God. You might be a pastor, but you're not a man of God. And I do. I believe you can be. A, I believe you can be a man of God and not be a pastor. I believe you can be a pastor and not be a man of God. And let me tell you something. I'd be careful if I was that pastor going after a man of God. In his congregation. You better watch out for that. You better watch out. She bear's going to get you. Next time. Better, better watch out. Because there, there's, a, there's a principle there. So let me just say. It isn't appropriate to call someone a man of God. As long as they are making proper application. With that term. It's not, it's not wrong for saying someone is God's man. That's another thing preachers are saying. Uh, you know. And I've had I've had preachers say, you know, guest preachers. If a guest preacher comes in there, I'm like, hey, I'm thankful for Brother Tom. I believe he's God's man for Rock Falls. Amen. You know, he just means, you know, God wanted me to be the pastor here and all. That. I, I know what he means by that. Don't go too crazy with it, you know. But but either way, you know, if someone, it's not wrong to say someone else is God's man for something as long as proper application is being made. If some guy runs a gas station and he is running it according to godliness. He doesn't have no dirty magazines in there. They ain't selling cigarettes and lottery tickets. Man, that is God's man for gas stations in this town. I'd go to that gas station. You know, that, that's a man of God running that gas station right there. And so, you know, don't, don't let anybody weaponize that term against you. Don't let me weaponize that ter- term against you. And don't let anybody make you think you can't be a man of God because you haven't been ordained to pastor. 
No, you can be a man of God just by being godly and being an example. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for uh, these scriptures that we looked at. I pray you'll help everyone in here, every man to be a man of God, every woman to be a woman of God. I pray that we will be an example, that we will be a light in this community, and you'll help us to just make a difference and to just show this world how it's done. I pray you bless everyone for it. In your name we pray. Amen.